You're listening to Catholic Faith on the Move podcast, a journey on the road to heaven. It's green season, and today we're doing our part. We'll explore the myths and realities of St. Patrick and take a pilgrimage to spiritual Ireland using the book Celtic Journal, A Traveler's Guide to Ireland's Spiritual Legacy by Steve and Lois Ravy. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle on us the fire of your love. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ where I lie, Christ where I sit, Christ where I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. That was St. Patrick's breastplate, and it was called the breastplate because it, um, it was reminiscent of the protection of God's divine power, and it's one of the part of one of the famous prayers from St. Patrick. St. Patrick is our featured saint today on the podcast. He was born about 386, and he was born actually in Britain, uh, the son of some Romans who were in, in Britain at the time and was, uh, at the age of 16, captured by Irish pirates, kidnapped and taken to Ireland uh, to work as a slave. He worked there for six years, and then in a dream, God told him that his ship was waiting for him to come back to Britain uh, and showed him the way to get to the coast to find a ship that was actually there and went back home to England, where he uh, studied studied for the priesthood uh, and became a priest uh, not too long after that. And during his priesthood, he was um, called to go back to Ireland and to evangelize and convert the people who had held him captive for those six years. So an amazing story of a, a, a guy who, you know, went back to where he had been persecuted to change the hearts of, of the people that were in Ireland. And he converted the Irish population in just about 40 years from shore to shore. Lots of great myths and stories about St. Patrick. Do you know any, Sue? Well, I know that one of the reasons he went back was to drive all the snakes from Ireland, right, Chip? Uh, no, that would be a myth, not a reality. <laughs> See, Ireland is an island, so there really weren't a whole lot of snakes on it to begin with. So, But it's nice to think that. What about him uh, poking the king in the foot? Now, that one's true. He was converting the high king of Ireland at the time, King Angus, in uh, at the Rock of Cashel. And um, as a part of the uh, ceremony, you know, he accidentally stuck his staff in the king's foot and pierced his staff, or pierced the king's foot with his staff. And the uh, the high king, King Angus, just figured it was part of the whole ritual and didn't say a word, gritted his teeth and suffered through the whole thing. So that one's true. Now we know almost every picture or statue of St. Patrick has the shamrock. And we know that the shamrock was used to explain the Trinity and has been associated with him and the Irish ever since. 
That's true. And, um, you know, it's a very plausible way for him to uh, explain that trinity with something that was naturally occurring in the, in the land and something that uh, the Irish people could relate to. There are a couple of writings from St. Patrick that have survived. Uh, one of them is the, his confessions, and the other is uh, the letter to the soldiers of Caroticus. And um, both are attributed to him. And the confessions of Patrick is where we get a lot of historical information, along with uh, writings and, and those histories of the day that came following uh, his, his time on the island as bishop and converter of souls. What's interesting about um, St. Patrick, too, is unlike some of the missionaries that had come before to Ireland to try to convert the Irish, um, who set down rigid rules and, and said everything has to be this way, Patrick, um, having lived with the Irish for six years, took a lot of their um, pagan practices and rituals and used them to explain um, Jesus and the Trinity and all these things and, and kind of worked those festivals and rituals into Christianity so that there was an easier way for uh, the people of Ireland to make that conversion um, from their paganistic ways to the Christian uh, beliefs. So it was kind of a unique way for him to uh, approach the Irish people um, by using their own traditions and culture as a way to um, get the Christian faith in and seeded so that it would take root. And take root it did because Ireland is known as the Isle of Saints. There's like a hundred, hundreds of saints from, from Ireland. So um, what he did there and how he started the faith growing in Ireland uh, is exemplary and you know stands as a model to this day. And you see that in the art and the buildings and the things that stay there today, like the famous high crosses have, usually you'll see this circle around the cross and then they're usually embellished with the beautiful irish symbols the celtic symbols and which makes them truly unique when you see them they're quite beautiful right and even the prayer that we open with the the saint patrick's breastplate that section of it where he talks about christ before me and below me and above me and to my right and to my left is a direct draw from a lot of the uh pagan rituals where they would talk about the sun above and the earth below and the trees to the right. So even in that imagery, he took that and made it into a prayer. So uh, basically a revolutionary way to evangelize the faith and to draw um, the Irish people into Christianity. We'll learn more about St. Patrick when we go on our pilgrimage to the Isle of Saints. Check out our blog and other information, including links to our Facebook and Twitter pages at our website, CatholicFaithOnTheMove.com, or send us an email at CatholicFaithOnTheMove at gmail.com. Today, the book we're discussing is The Celtic Journeys, A Traveler's Guide to Ireland's Spiritual Legacy by Steve and Lois Ravy. And we selected this book because when you do go on pilgrimage to some places that you're not so familiar with, and a place like Ireland, where it's basically one big pilgrim site, um, you really need something to guide you so you know what you're looking for. I know uh, some of the places aren't even marked there. I know that we've, when we went to Ireland, we used several different guidebooks that helped us. And this little guidebook here is good to really make it a spiritual journey. And I wish I would have had this on our last one. I actually got this thinking about our next trip. Uh, Chip and I have been to Ireland twice and Chip gets to go in about a couple weeks. Yes, I do. 
So uh, what's nice about this book is it points out the different, it goes through and tells the different sites to look for and just what it meant and a little bit of the history. And then at the end, it gives you some information on places to go and itinerary sites and a little bit about some other traveling type tips like the dining and um, places to shop, places to see. But that's very minimal. Probably for that section, you would want to get another traditional guidebook. Right. So where are we going to go first on our pilgrimage, dear? Well, we're going to start in the footsteps of St. Patrick. And we're going to stop first at uh, Crow Patrick. Crow Patrick. That is Patrick Stack in Irish. Uh, or reek is another word for it. And uh, that is a mountain just outside of uh, Westport in uh, northwestern Ireland. And uh, it's been the site of a pilgrimage for, for many, many years. It's actually uh, reported that uh, Patrick went to the top of that mountain and uh, prayed and fasted for 40 days uh, to get special blessings for the Irish people. And so as a result of that, uh, it's been a pilgrim site uh, for a long time. And in fact, every year, there's uh, the th- last Sunday in July is called Reek Sunday, and they uh, there's a bunch of pilgrims that go up there, hundreds and hundreds of pilgrims go up there that day. It's about a two-hour climb up to the top of the mountain where there is a chapel. Now, the hardiest of pilgrims um, take their shoes off and uh, crawl the last hundred uh, yards or hundred feet or so up to the top of the mountain, um, but that's not required. Those are just the ones that are there to really into it. Um, but there's been a chapel up there for, uh, since the time of Patrick, actually, it was built, uh, shortly after, uh, he had his, um, fasting experience up there. So they found remains from a chapel on top of the hill. And it is traditional to say that St. Patrick's breastplate as they go up and to ponder that. And some people will go to the top. It's thought that St. Patrick himself went up that mountain and stay there the 40 days and 40 nights to fast and pray for the people of Ireland. We made it a cup, a little bit way up, just not quite all the a way short up. way up, a short way up. Uh, but what's interesting too, is in the little gift shop, they have, um, you can get a walking stick. So they have ones you could borrow and ones you can buy and you see people going up, but the people that we talked to, they said that truly there's thousands of people that go up in all ages. All ages, yep. And in fact, the um, Enrique Sunday, the Archbishop of Tuam is the one who leads the uh, leads the procession up the mountain. So, you know, if you've been around the Catholic Church for a while, you know that archbishops are not the youngest of folks. So uh, he's going up there with everybody else. So uh, what a great tradition that's been going on for centuries uh, in Ireland. And just one of the many... One of the many pilgrim sites you can go to when you're on, on the Isle of Saints. And uh, Chip was telling us a little bit about the the king and how St. Patrick used that shamrock. Uh, and that place that it actually happened was the Rock of Cashel. Is that our next pilgrimage site? Yep, that's where we're going. How about that? So the Rock of Cashel, there was a, there was a big, huge castle that was built there and a church, that, a cathedral that was built there. Um, and the high king, King Angus, that was converted at the time, much like um, when Constantine was converted uh, in Roman times and the Catholic faith then became legal and spread even more quickly, 
Um, so it was in Ireland when the high king converted, then, of course, all the subjects that he was under uh, thought, well, that's that's a pretty good idea. If the king's going to do this, I'm going to do it. And he was the uh, uh, the high king of one of the provinces of Ireland. And so that helped with the spread of Catholicism um, throughout the island of Ireland as well. But it's a beautiful place. That now there's a ruins of the cathedral and, and castle that were built at the Rock of Cashel and, um, in, uh, in Central Ireland. And then the next spot is we were talking about how uh, St. Patrick was very good at taking some of the pagan rituals. And one of those sites was at the Hill of Slain, where St. Patrick, every year on the Hill of Terra, the high kings, all of Ireland, they traditionally put out all the lights and then they relit the flame that would be spread throughout the land. And he took that opportunity to set a fire on top of the Hill of Slain. So this was really quite dangerous at the time but it really made an impact it was pretty revolutionary and basically it's it's basically what we would get the easter vigil fire from uh these days you know it's kind of grew out of that whole tradition and the fire that patrick built was purportedly uh twice as big as the fire that the kings on the hill of terror built and so you could actually see patrick's fire from further away than you could see the fire that the uh the ancient kings in their pagan ritual was building so you know mr one-upper St. Patrick. And if you go to Dublin on your trip, there is a St. Patrick's Cathedral, but it's today it's not Catholic. But if you go to uh, St. Patrick's, there is a spot where they believe that there is a well, and it is marked there that St. Patrick did um, perform baptisms there. Right, right. So you can still get in there and see that in the city of Dublin if you're in there. And our next stop is, we said this is the Isle of Saints. If you just go a little bit south of Dublin, we get to Glendalow, the, the site for St. Kevin's Monastery. Yeah, now St. Kevin came along about 100 years or so after St. Patrick died. He was in the, in the early 600s. And uh, St. Kevin was, was a hermit's hermit. He wanted nothing to do with people. He just wanted to go out in the woods and pray talk to God and, and spend his life alone as, you know, as a hermit, as a, an ascetic, um, true ascetic and, um, really avoided people at all costs. Now, you know, St. Kevin is an Irish saint. So there are stories that grew up around him as well, because, you know, it's the Irish and they like their stories. One of those stories is that St. Kevin was fasting and praying in the, uh, in the woods there near Glendalough. And, uh, there was a cow that came to lick his feet at night. And then when the cow would go back to the farm in the morning, this particular cow gave multiple times as much milk as the other cows. And this continued for days. And the farmer, being a wise Irishman, figured if he was going to follow this cow, because whatever this cow was going to do, he was going to get the other cows to do, so he could get even more milk. So he followed the cow back and saw that it was uh, licking the feet of St. Kevin. Well, the farmer picked up Kevin, who was uh, in his fasting, was very, very undernourished. And the farmer felt compelled or called by God to carry St. Kevin to a spot and uh, deposit him there and bring him back to some to some health. 
And that spot is where St. Kevin built his first church in Glendalough in the uh, area of the Twin Lakes. So that's the story. So we're told. What's nice about this area, it is one of those sites that does have a built um, historic center. And you can learn a lot about St. Kevin and the area there. There's also one of their famous round towers there that's pretty impressive. And they do, you can go through the actual sites on your own, but they do have some guided tours there too. Right. And they have several different, uh, you'll get some good examples of the high crosses there. And I think that a lot of the Irish people go, it's like a whole park complex. Right. It's really a beautiful area to spend the day. It really is. And St. Kevin kind of started this whole monk thing going in Ireland. I mean, he was, like I said, he was a, a monk's monk, a hermit's hermit. But um, the natural beauty and um, relative uh, vacancy of the land with, you know, not a whole lot of population around really lent the whole island to um, the concept of, of monks and monasteries and that type of asceticism. Yeah, it's full of different monasteries and abbeys, and it's just amazing. It, you're going down a little lane in Ireland, and you see ruins everywhere. Most of these are in ruins, so uh, so it's really important to read up about it so you kind of know where you're going. And also in this area, there's several holy wells. Um, one of the oldest places is out on one of our favorite sections of Ireland is on Dingle. The Dingle Peninsula is Gallus Oratory. Yeah, the Gallus Oratories were, um, it's a collection of small little stone huts that kind of look like beehives. So they, they gave them that name, the Beehive Huts. And uh, each hut is uh, where a monk would live and um, just stay in the hut and do their praying, um, do their reading, um, you know, talk to God and, and pray for the people of the church and the, and the people of the area. And if, you know, you look up on the hillside and you'll see a dozen of these small stone huts that are, you know, as about the size of a normal bedroom in a house today. So, um, and that was it. That was the only, only space they had to live. And then they would gather communally for, for meals, but then go right back to their huts to continue praying. Um, and looking out over the beautiful ocean, which they could see from some of those hillsides as well. So, um, yeah, the whole concept of, of being alone and praying was, was something that Ireland's famous for. And that's what we noticed about on our trips to Ireland is Ireland's kind of unique. It has so it's much more known for its natural beauty. And it's not like you're going to we you go to several sites, but it's more you're driving a lot you're driving along and making little stops and you're seeing different places and it really lends itself to exploring because there are these ruins everywhere and it really kind of brings you back into that time and you can really place yourself and feel that yeah absolutely it does take you right back to it especially when you smell that nice peat <laughs> the peat fires yes yes and um on the opposite end, we went to uh, beautiful the Kilmore Abbey. Mm-hmm. Kilmore Abbey is it's gorgeous up there. Um, just a beautiful like kind of a gothic-y kind of looking building. So it's still in in pretty good shape, and you can still go through uh, a part of that. But um, 
Yeah, it was gorgeous. And that's up uh, in the Connemara area, up north of Galway. Mm -hmm. And um, just a really gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous setting. Yeah, it. you'll notice it as soon as you see the picture. Some of the famous pictures of Ireland, you'll see this abbey. And you can tour it, but it's very a limited tour. You right. don't see a lot of the buildings. But what I found more interesting was actually going down the lane and they do have a small chapel. Right. And yeah. that was very special to spend some time there. Mm -hmm. So don't just stop at the Abbey. Go on down and see the... See the other outbuildings that are there. Mm -hmm. Talking about the monks and what they were doing, one of the most famous things they're known for is the Book of Kells. That's right. And, uh, you know, there are those who claim that the Irish saved civilization. And, and this is kind of an example of that. Um, the Book of Kells was um, written in the 800s uh, by monks, and um, they're named for the monastery at Kells, which is where they were housed for the longest period of time. Um, it's thought kind of that the Book of Kells was maybe a, collabor a collaborative effort um, among different um, communities of monks. But what it is, it's the four Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, but in an illustrated fashion. So there's there's some pictures, there's some bright colors, there's the Celtic knotwork um, as a part of the artwork to accompany the Gospels uh, to help bring them more fully to life um, than just the written page. And uh, the Book of Kells survived um, many Viking invasions and, and attacks uh, on different monasteries, um, and they are currently housed at Trinity College in Dublin, and they're on display. Um, they do rotate... Uh, which uh, which book you're seeing at, at certain times just to keep them preserved. Um, but it's a it's a beautiful collection of artwork. And, and when you see the artwork on the Book of Kells, you're just amazed that this happened in the 800s. It's quite beautiful. And don't miss going to the long library. It is the quintessential library. <laughs> and there's a beautiful harp in there too. That... Right, yeah. It's a gorgeous stop on your tour. As we continue our tour, we want to not leave out, this is the Isle of Saints. And of course, you can be looking up your favorite saints and going to those places. One of them, of uh, note, would be St. Brendan. St. Brendan, the navigator. That St. Brendan? That St. Brendan. So St. Brendan uh, was um, probably about, an, uh, again, about 100 years or so after Patrick. And he... Uh, Boy, this is this is one where the myth and the reality kind of all get all jumbled together. Because uh, so he was a, he was obviously you know a monk, and he felt a calling to uh, to go to the Western Sea and to evangelize there and and see what was out there. And so, uh, according to legend and according to a famous medieval book called The Voyages of Saint Brendan, uh, he traveled uh, across the Atlantic. Um, Apparently, he discovered Greenland and North America, if you believe the legends. Um, and Christopher Columbus apparently believed the legends because before he, 50 or a few years before he sailed to uh, America, Christopher Columbus actually came to Ireland to study the voyages of Brendan and Navigator before he left. So he put some stock into it anyway. Um, but among the, along the way on this journey, and this is where the, the myth gets in there, he fought sea monsters and he um, saw the island where Judas Iscariot was banished for life. So, you know, maybe, maybe not. 
but uh but the Irish are good storytellers. Storytellers, they like a good story, so and that could be a part of it as well. But another great saint from the island, and another pilgrim saint from Ireland is Saint Columba. Yeah, Saint Columba actually started the Iona monasteries in Scotland, and uh, he is the saint uh, credited with uh, bringing the faith to the Scots. Um, who were known as the Picts at the time, if you want to get all technical. But anyway, um, so he brought the faith to Scotland um, and started the, the monasteries at uh, Iona, which are still in place today. Uh, the Ionan uh, community is, is a strong, vibrant community of faith. That brings us to Knock, probably one of the most famous pilgrim sites to go to that people go to Ireland is to see Knock because of the... Um, Marian apparitions that occurred there. It was in the late 1800s, right? 1879. 1879. And um, they're, they're an unusual set of apparitions because it wasn't just um, our Blessed Mother that appeared there. It was also St. Joseph and St. John the Evangelist um, that appeared in the apparition. And um, behind them was an altar with a lamb on it and a cross. And... Um, the apparition only lasted for about two hours or so. Um, and uh, the townspeople all got, well, not all, but the townspeople were able to, to spread the word. And so many, many people were able to see uh, the apparition. And uh, the bishop thought it was legit and then turned it over to the church for their judgment. And, um, and the church hierarchy and the pope um, authorized it as a, as a Marian apparition. And... Um, it's been a site of pilgrimage for a long time. There's a huge, huge church there that's been built uh, as a result. And uh, matter of fact, uh, Pope John Paul, Saint Pope John Paul the Great, uh, did visit there in 1979. Right. And they said about a half a million people were there. Him and a half a million of his closest friends. <laughs> <laughs> so. And what, what I liked when we visited, of course, you know, we did attend mass there. Uh, they have a Stations of the Cross, and then um, they have holy wells there, too, that right. you can get water from. And it's a nice, it makes a nice visit. It's a nice pilgrimage, and um, it's been uh, it's been very popular. And, and um, Christy Moore even wrote a song about building an airport outside of the city of Knock as a result of uh, all the pilgrimages that were going on, um, a rather enjoyable song. So as you can see, Ireland is a beautiful country to visit and also to take a pilgrimage to. There's so many sites, so many places, so many wonderful things to ponder and to learn. But even if you can't go there physically, you can uh, pick up this book and read about it and, and just take yourself there in short bits and, and learn a little bit about the, the history of the Island of Saints and how spiritual of a place it really, really is. St. Patrick, pray for us. Or, Nev Pare Gadin. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. We'll, we'll see you on the road. road.